friends, we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is sunny side of sports. Right here on the Voice of America. Voice of America. Sporty greetings to all our Voice of America listeners. This is VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. Welcome to the August 24th edition of the sunny side of sports. Ladies first on Wednesday's show. The Council of Southern Africa Football Associations, or CASAFA, will hold its annual Women's Championship next week in South Africa. Banyana Banyana of South Africa, the host team, is bidding for a record-extending eighth CASAFA title. The South African ladies are in Group A at the 12-team tournament, along with Angola, Mauritius, and Mozambique. Group B has Zambia, Namibia, Lesotho, and Eswatini. And Group C has Botswana, Malawi, Tanzania, and Comoros. The 2022 Kasafa Women's Championship will kick off August 31st and go through September 11th. To find out about Zambia's preparations, Iron Mike Mbonye called Lusaka where he reached the media officer of the Copper Queens, Mike Mubanga. So the Copper Queens will, will be taking part um, at this year's 2022 Kosafa Women's Championship. Obviously, it's a, it's an annual event, and uh, for this year, there are a total of 12 teams that are participating at, uh, at this uh, tournament. Uh, the Copper Queens are in Group B, alongside Lesotho, Eswatini, as well as Namibia. So it's being hosted by South Africa and will run from uh, August 31 to September 11 in uh, Nelson Mandela Bay. So it promises to be an exciting tournament in that uh, there are a number of teams that are that are vying for gold. Uh, obviously, last year, a guest team won the tournament. And now this year, um, obviously... Regional rivalry will be will be will be rebirthed. So Zambia as well is 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 going to be fully involved at this tournament. And like I said, uh, they're in Group B and will begin the the tournament with uh, an opening fixture against Namibia on September first. South Africa has named a team that excludes the women's Afcon winning players. What will the Zambian team look like? So the aim for for this tournament is is obviously uh, wanting to do better than the Copper Queens did last year. Uh, last year the team was was third, finished bronze medal uh, in the bronze medal bracket after beating South Africa on penalties. So this year is is obviously the target is to is to go further and uh, get to the finals and obviously win the tournament because obviously when a team gets to the final then. Uh, the target is to win it. So our aim this year is to is to go better than we did last year, where we got to third place, and to get to this year's tournament with an aim of winning it. Are preparations for FIFA Women's World Cup scheduled for Australia and New Zealand still on course? Well, obviously, in um, in answering your two questions regarding preparations for next year's FIFA Women's World Cup as well as South Africa naming uh, a team excluding Wafcon winning players. I think for us, 
this tournament serves as part of preparations for the World Cup because uh, it will obviously test the players' character the, the, and also it will test the, the players' readiness for, for the biggest tournament. So preparations for the World Cup starts now and uh, this tournament will obviously help gauge the team's uh, preparedness ahead of the, the tournament. So our team is obviously a blend of those that were at the WAFCON in Morocco, as well as the exciting young ones that play in the local league. So that combination is obviously going to bring about um, results in terms of checking which players are still in in good form to continue preparing for the for the World Cup. So most of the players that were were at the WAFCON are going to the Kosafa excluding some of um, the foreign-based players that obviously have gone back to their bases, notable ones being uh, the goalkeeper Hezo Nari, as well as uh, the WAFCON captain Grace Chanda, who's out um, in Kazakhstan with uh, with a club. So most of the players are, are making a return to, 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 to this Kosafa having played last year, and it's part of preparations for for the for the FIFA Women's World Cup. Obviously, there will be more uh, preparations after this tournament. There will be a number of uh, uh, of camping programs and a number of matches that are probably going to be lined up. So for now, the start is this tournament, the COSAFA, which serves as preparations for the World Cup. That's Mike Mubanga, the media officer of Zambia's national women's football team. And he spoke with Iron Mike Mbonye on the telephone from Lusaka, Zambia. Like the Copper Queens of Zambia and Banyana Banyana of South Africa, the Atlas Lionesses of Morocco and the Super Falcons of Nigeria have qualified for the 2023 Women's World Cup. The Super Falcons will travel to the United States next month for two friendly international matches against the U.S. women's national soccer team. The Nigerian women will play the USA on September 3rd in Kansas City, Kansas, and then three days later here in Washington. The USA's head coach, Vlatko Andonovsky, has named a 23-player roster for the two matches against Nigeria, Now, several players have ties to the Kansas City and Washington areas, and six of the 23 American players compete in the National Women's Soccer League for the Washington Spirit team. Meanwhile, Nigeria's American coach, Randy Waldrum, realizes the two friendly matches against the USA are excellent preparation for the Women's World Cup. The USA has lifted the Women's World Cup trophy four times, and the American women have also won four Olympic gold medals in football. Sporty greetings. This is Randy Waldrum, coach of the Super Falcons of Nigeria. You're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. Thanks. Thanks, coach. On the next Straight Talk Africa... Join me, Vincent McCory, as we follow the contested elections in Kenya, where William Ruto was declared president. 
We'll also take a look at the general elections in Angola, where a tight race is expected between President Joao Lorenzo running for a second term. In-depth analysis on the elections in Angola and Kenya on the next Straight Talk Africa on Wednesday at 18.30 UTC. In professional golf, there's some big, big money at stake this week in the season-ending Tour Championship in Atlanta, Georgia. George McNeely has this preview for us from Atlanta. It's the crowning event on the PGA Tour and what they all play for. An $18 million first prize paycheck. Only the top 30 in the FedEx Cup standings made it here. And Will Zalatoris, who won just two weeks ago in Memphis, had a dropout with a back injury. Should he finish last, he'll still earn a half million dollars this week for not touching a club. Another player not teeing it up is Tiger Woods. However, his presence is felt as the recently named executive director of PGA Tour 2K23. He's on the cover of a video game for the first time in a decade. Well, it's crazy. It just uh, It's been that long that since I've done video games, but also to be a part of this PGA Tour and be part of this iconic brand. Um, that's um, it's pretty neat, and to be able to basically create something that's more realistic, something that is um, that my kids will enjoy playing. Worldwide release for PGA Tour 2K23 is October 11th. Sean West manages the development team at 2K and HB Studios. We spent two years developing this product. Um, some of the big things that we're really excited about are playable pros this time around. Uh, we've got Tiger on the cover. We're also working with some other great players like Justin Thomas, Colin Marikawa, Tony Finau, just to name a few. Actor Chris McDonald is here, and the co-star of the iconic Happy Gilmore movie agrees these games are a gateway to actually playing golf and connecting with family members like his son. That's well, well said, and I, it's exactly what happened. I saw how much he was playing the game, and I thought, this is good. Man, believe me, I would love to get him out on the course, <laughs> but um, but he does come out on the course to me because of the game, so that's great. Yes, it, 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 it's it's a kind of a like I enjoy the game, but to have him enjoy the game as much as he does and have him challenge me a little bit, I'm like, come on, we got to do this. McDonald says he never ever tires of the fame that portraying Shooter McGavin has brought him, as we both watch golf's biggest names together playing their practice round from the FedEx Chalet overlooking the 18th hole here at East Lake Country Club. There's a lot of love for that character, which is a, a, a great thrill for an actor. So, And I have done hundreds, hundreds of movies, but this one just has that kind of following. That's, that's the Adam Sandler, I think, je ne sais quoi. In advance of Thursday's opening round of the Tour Championship for the sunny side of sports. I'm George McNeely in Atlanta. Thanks, George. We heard from American star Tiger Woods in George's report. In March, Tiger was inducted into the World Golf Hall of Fame in Florida. In this sunny side of sports highlight for 2022, let's listen in again to Tiger's comments at the ceremony. You have to understand, I got to this position because of my upbringing, having two unbelievable parents, but I didn't get here alone. I know that golf is an individual sport, 
We do things on our own a lot for hours on end. But in my case, I didn't get here alone. I had unbelievable parents, mentors, friends who allowed me and supported me in the toughest times, darkest of times, and celebrated the highest of times. So I just want to say thank you to my mom, Sam, Erica, Charlie, everyone here, all my friends have come to, to be here. This is an individual award, but it's actually a, a team award. All of you allowed me to get here. I just want to say thank you very much from the bottom of my heart. We heard Tiger Woods thank his family. He was introduced by his 14-year-old daughter, Sam. Recently, Daddy Pat trained harder than ever. About a year ago, you were stuck in a hospital bed at one of your ultimate lows. At one of the scariest moments of your life and ours. We didn't know if to come home. If, if we didn't know if you'd come home with two legs or not. Now, not only about to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, but you're standing here on your own two feet. This is why you deserve this because you're a fighter. You've defied the odds every time, being the first black and Asian golfer to win a major, being able to win your fifth masters after multiple back surgeries, and being able to walk just a few months after your crash. Through thick and thin, you, Charlie, Erica, Cunha, and I will always be a team. Dad, I inducted you into the Dad Hall of Fame a long time ago. But today, I am so proud to present my dad, Tiger Woods, into the World Golf Hall of Fame. At the World Golf Hall of Fame ceremony, Tiger Woods also paid tribute to his dad, Earl Woods, who died in 2006. One of the things that, that drove that drove me was his passion to play the game of golf. I was never going to be denied to play. I loved it. I had this burning desire to be able to express myself um, in, this, in this game of golf. One of, my, one of the things that Dad had instilled in me is that he grew up in an era, same era as Charlie Sifford, and why my son is named after Charlie, is that you had to be twice as good to be given half a chance. And so that, that understanding and that drive, as Sam said, train hard, fight easy. I made practicing so difficult, hurt so much, because I wanted to make sure that I was ready come game time. I hit thousands of balls, hands bleeding, aching, just so that I could play in a tournament. That's Tiger Woods, who was inducted into the World Golf Hall of Fame. I'm VOA's Sonny Young in Washington, and you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. This is Heather Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. We 
Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station, Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. Thanks, Heather. Just ahead, the AP's Josh Roundtree has a package of basketball, U.S. college football, and Major League Baseball news. Subway series concluded in New York with the Bronx Bombers taking the set. More from Tom Merriam. The resurgent Yankees won their third in a row, finishing off a two-game sweep of the Mets in their latest Subway series, 4-2. Andrew Benintendi had the key late RBA hit for the third straight game. His seventh-inning single broke a 2-2 tie to give the Yanks the lead for good. One out later, Aaron Judge singled home another run for a major league leading total of 105. Judge earlier hit his 48th home run of the season. That's why we play this game is for moments like that, battling with you know, a great team like that, back and forth. They're putting up runs. We're putting up runs. Um, you know, crowd was into it. This is, it was a fun night tonight. The Mets slowed to the bases with two out in the top of the ninth, but Wander Peralta came in to get Francisco Lindor to fly out. The Phillies came back to walk off winners over Cincinnati 7-6. Nick Maton with the winning hit as Philadelphia continues to get production from young players. It definitely felt good. I mean, we just come in here and try to do our jobs and help these guys out in any way we can, and I feel like we've done really well at doing that. Elsewhere, the Astros topped the Twins 4-2. Justin Verlander left after six innings with a no-hitter intact. The Guardians got by the Padres 3-1. Oscar Gonzalez going deep for Cleveland. And the Dodgers beat up Milwaukee 10-1 in L.A. Freddie Freeman with three hits and four RBIs. In the NBA, Kevin Durant is staying in Brooklyn, according to a statement from Nets general manager Sean Marks. Durant initially asked for a trade on June 30th. His four-year, $198 million extension he signed last offseason kicks in this year. And in college football, Alabama coach Nick Saban is getting a new eight-year contract worth at least $93.6 million, eclipsing the recent mega deal of SEC rival Kirby Smart at Georgia. The Alabama Trustees Compensation Committee approved a one-year extension through 2030 for the 70-year-old Saban, who has led the Crimson Tide to six national titles. I'm Josh Roundtree. Hi, I'm Kim Lewis. Join me and our panel of journalists as we discuss the top stories of the week, including the latest developments regarding the FBI investigation of former U.S. President Donald Trump. His lawyers asked a federal court to temporarily block the agency from reviewing documents recovered from his Florida estate. We'll examine this and more on Issues in the News this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. Thanks, Kim. Earlier in the show, I mentioned how Nigeria's national women's football team, the Super Falcons, will play friendly international matches against the USA next month in Kansas City, Kansas, and right here in Washington. The Washington match, scheduled for September 6th, will be played at 20,000-seat Audi Field the home stadium of Major League Soccer's D.C. United team. 
And yes, let me say Audi Field is within walking distance of our Voice of America headquarters here in Washington. Audi Field officially opened in 2018. And since then, it's been able to host more and more marquee matches. The National Women's Soccer League announced Tuesday that Audi Field will stage its championship match on October 29th. It marks the first time Washington, D.C. has hosted a women's professional football final. The game will also be broadcast on CBS television at 8 p.m. local time here in Washington so the league can showcase its marquee event in prime time on the broadcast network. In a statement commenting on the TV slot, National Women's Soccer League Commissioner Jessica Berman said, and I quote, As we continue to advance the women's sports landscape in the USA and around the world, this is a particularly significant moment for the league and an opportunity our players wholly deserve. Now, the last time a professional football final was held here in Washington was 2007 at RFK Stadium, For the MLS Cup, that's the Major League Soccer Championship match between the Houston Dynamo and the New England Revolution. This is the voice of America. Washington, D.C. I'm Sonny Young in Washington, D.C., And you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. A prized piece of memorabilia once worn by basketball great Michael Jordan will be auctioned off in September. Now, the auction follows one earlier this year for a jersey once worn by the late, great Diego Maradona. VOA's Gwen Ooten tells us more. Sporty greetings, Gwen. Sporty greetings, Sonny. In May, the number 10 jersey Argentine soccer legend Diego Maradona wore when he scored two of the most famous goals in soccer history went up for auction at Sotheby's in London. That shirt sold at a world record price of over $9 million, the most expensive game-worn jersey in history. Now, a Another famous jersey will be offered online on Sotheby's website next month. The so-called Last Dance jersey worn by Michael Jordan in the 1998 NBA Finals is set to be auctioned for an estimated 3 to $5 million, the highest amount ever for any piece of Jordan memorabilia. Brom Walker is the head of streetwear and modern collectibles for Sotheby's. He says the sky's the limit for Jordan's iconic number 23. So that's a super iconic logo. I mean, still, even to this day, if you walk into the NBA store in New York, you'll see them using that kind of iconic 1998 NBA Finals logo patch. Um, and so that in particular is something that definitely increases the collectability of this jersey. We have it listed at 3 to $5 million, um, but, you know, sky's the limit. It just takes two. 
The Jersey got its name from the ESPN film The Last Dance, a documentary series that revolves around Michael Jordan's career and the 1997-98 NBA season, Jordan's final season with the Chicago Bulls that ended with their third straight championship. And Brom Walker says the game won Jersey from that final series symbolizes the pinnacle of Jordan's greatness. So here we have Michael Jordan's 1998 NBA Finals the last dance jersey from game one. Um, when you think about you know, the arc of Michael Jordan's career and him coming to his last chance at a sixth NBA championship, um, the last dance really holds a special place uh, in the hearts of all Michael Jordan fans. And this is really one of the most significant artifacts for Michael Jordan to ever appear at auction. Jordan hit the game-winning shot in Game 6 of the 1998 NBA Finals with five seconds left on the clock. That play is still regarded as one of the greatest in NBA history. The Bulls' 87-86 win over the Utah Jazz clinched the championship series and their second three-peat in eight years. Over 35 million viewers tuned in, and it still holds the record as the most watched finals game in NBA history. The following year, Michael Jordan retired from the Chicago Bulls for a second time with a total of six championship titles and six finals MVP awards, the most of any player. He returned to the game in 2001 to play for the Washington Wizards before he officially retired for a third and final time two years later. In 2009, he was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame, and he's currently chairperson and owner of the Charlotte Hornets NBA team based in his native U.S. state of North Carolina. The list of achievements goes on and on. However, Brom Walker believes the iconic Last Dance jersey sums up Michael Jordan's legacy. Well, if you think about the Last Dance and kind of Michael's career arc, you know, The Last Dance is really what people covet so much, in, in part because of the documentary. And at that time, Michael was, you know, battling against the enormous amount um, within his own organization, um, which was fracturing. Ultimately, he understood it would be his last shot at an NBA championship with the Chicago Bulls, and he emerged victorious. Um, and this, you know, iconic jersey in, in red is, is one of the um, top artifacts that's ever come to market for Michael Jordan. The Last Dance jersey is the second shirt that was worn by Michael Jordan in the NBA Finals to go up for auction. The first was also worn in 1998 in Jordan's final regular season appearance with the Bulls. That jersey sold for just over 173000 U.S. dollars in 2015. Bidding for the iconic Last Dance jersey from Game 1 of the 1998 NBA Finals will be begin on September 6th and conclude on September 14th. And that is all from me, Sonny. Back over to you. Thanks, Gwen. That's my VOA colleague, Gwen Uden.
follow the sunny side of sports on Facebook and Twitter. My Facebook address is facebook.com forward slash VOA Sunny. And my Twitter handle is at VOA Sunny Sports. Let's sample a few Facebook comments from our sunny side of sports listeners. The entrepreneur Aloche Aquari writes, Sporty greetings, Sonny, from the rocky city of Joss, Plateau State, Nigeria. Joss, by the way, is the birthplace of our reigning prince of pugilistics, Namdi Hollywood Moeta, who's been delivering verbal jabs over our Voice of America airwaves for 40 years. Donnie Donnie writes from Tema, Ghana. Donnie says he's originally from Togo. He loves the sunny side of sports, and he gives a shout-out for Manchester United Football Club, which is coming off a big 2-1 victory over Liverpool. And Jones Chandiga writes that he's a follower of the Spurs of Tottenham in the English Premier League. The Spurs are off to a good start with two wins and one draw. And that wraps up the August 24th edition of the show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm VOA's Sonny Young in Washington, and that's the sunny side of sports.